It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I don't know if you can hear that, but as soon as I pressed record, there was thunder in the background. And I'm sitting next to a window in this tiny little room at my parents' house. I feel like I could do an ASMR podcast episode. It's going to be a component, but I'm going to talk in a normal volume. <laughs> I've been very intrigued about ASMR. I could see myself going down that path and, and like doing ASMR videos. I don't have enough of a passion for it. I'm keeping my window next to me open that you can hear some thunder in the distance. I don't know what it'll sound like through this microphone. Maybe you'll hear some rain because in Massachusetts, we are about to get a big rainstorm. And just saying that out loud makes my heart want to burst open. I'm so excited. I've only been at my parents' house almost exactly 24 hours as of the time I'm recording this in late August 2022. And it's been really interesting because I still am coming down or grounding myself from the cross-country experience that I had, which is going to be the subject of today's episode. And I encourage you to go to the YouTube channel or keep an eye out for this video. I don't know exactly when it's going to come out yet, but that way you can see the difference <laughs> in my setting. I was here last year. I set up this little remote office for myself. And I actually still want to work on the sound. It might sound a little bit more echoey. You could hear Evie barking. Obviously, with the window open, there's different sounds. Hopefully, none of that is too distracting. I've been trying to figure out like the optimal way to soundproof this room. I might like put a quilt over the back of the door because it doesn't close fully. And I've got a little rug in here hoping to play around with the sounds. Let me know if you notice a change over the next uh, few weeks as I record episodes in here. I haven't listened back to anything yet. And this is actually the first time I've used this microphone in this room. And this little room is essentially a closet. It's kind of like Harry Potter. This is another reason to check out the video on YouTube because like it's got this slope ceiling and it's tiny. If you see the video, like you can see almost the entire room and it's also mess. For some reason, my mom like started tearing off the wallpaper. I think her intention was to redo the wallpaper in my sister and my childhood bedroom, but she never got around to it. It's been over a year. It looks a little shambly to me, but I feel like that adds character. <laughs> and it shows like the age of this place. Like there's a random piece of wallpaper missing on the or actually all over. There's also like remnants from my childhood, like up here beyond the camera. There is this, I don't even know how to describe it. When I was growing up, my sister or I put up this little heart shape. It must've been me. seems like something I would have done. I had this pen that would put out glow in the dark substance, <laughs> like, it, like this like thick, puffy, I don't even know what it was. It was a pen and <laughs> you could like draw on things and it would make it glow in the dark. 
I used to have glow in the dark stars all over our ceiling and in our bedroom, which is on the other side of this door and wall. Anyways, I hope the video will be up soon. I'm really excited to try out some new tools. Whoa. I hope you can hear some of that. I mean, that's really good. I think it's getting, the storm's getting closer because the sound is getting louder. I'm also, fingers crossed, the power doesn't go out and ruin this recording because I do this through Zencaster, which is currently sponsoring the show again. So excited about it. Zencaster just did this whole rebranding and it's perfect timing for me on this trip because one aim that I have as I slow down and try to savor the time away from Los Angeles is to upload all the previous videos. I haven't made it to YouTube yet. A big reason I haven't done that is because in the past, it used to be so much work. I used to download the files, bring them into the editing program, the video editing program I use. I just like spent so much time. Each video took me at least 15 or 20 minutes, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it just like, it felt like a lot energetically. And I believe with the new changes, the upgrades that Zencaster has made, that I don't have to do quite as much work. I think it's all built into the Zencaster website. And that would help me get a video like this one up sooner so that you can see what I'm talking about when I point out visuals. But I'm especially excited for you to be able to see the guests. And guesting has started to feel different for me with this show because a lot of the things that I'm learning through my well-being coaching training, uh, if you didn't know about that, I've been in a program for the past month. It goes until November 2022. And I am just learning new ways of listening, of asking questions, of supporting people. And I really felt like I was starting to put that into practice in a new way yesterday when I recorded with a guest. And that guest episode actually came out the week before this episode. So maybe you can pick up on it. I'm trying to just like give them more room to talk and to guide the conversation. And I've seen this evolution of myself as a podcaster, definitely seeing that as a coach I feel really good. The other thing I noticed yesterday, I had a coaching training session. I actually got to be the client in my program along with the other students. We do a lot of practice sessions to work and hone our, our coaching skills. And we'll take turns where one of us will be the coach and one of us will be the client. I was the client yesterday and I almost felt like it wasn't the best use. <laughs> of that practice session because I felt so happy. I felt so at ease in my life. I felt just content and I am so grateful for that. And I imagine that most of those feelings have come from the segment of the road trip I've completed. Let's dive into that as the rain starts to come down in the background. I can't wait to listen back to this. I kind of wish in real time I had set it up so I could hear the audio because Maybe I'll move my microphone to the window at some point to give you a better shot of hearing what's going on outside. One last thing before I get into the trip. It reminds me, when I was growing up, I used to love falling asleep to the sound of rain. And I remember buying a rainforest CD that I would play and it had the sound of thunder and rain in the rainforest and just thinking about that brings me so much peace and happiness. And to hear that right outside the window in real time is amazing. Although I wish it was happening while I was falling asleep because that's the best. 
Uh, I'm trying to encourage my sister to sleep out in my tent with me one night. (laughs) And maybe I'll do it by myself. I've barely utilized my tent. And I'll tell you a little bit about that experience from this trip in a moment. One more thing I promise that I forgot to mention in this little room. I feel so proud because I've set up a few things this year to make it work even better. One is I have this new light behind the camera that is really amazing. I forget the name of the brand, but it's a a lamp that I've wanted for a long time because it's really great for lighting somebody when they're doing work videos or they're doing live streaming or whatever type of recording. I have a great external webcam from Logitech, but if it doesn't have great lighting, it looks really pixel or not pixelated, but like the quality isn't so good. And this is only the second video that I've recorded in this room with this lamp set up, but it's the first time I've recorded when it was dark outside. And I also yesterday set up a little office chair. You can barely see it. I don't feel like doing a whole show and tell, but it is from Amazon. I went on there and just thought, if I can find a good office chair that's inexpensive and small enough to fit in this room, I'll get it. And I'm so grateful that I did. If you're curious, I'll link to the lamp and the camera and the chair. Let me make a little note for myself so I don't forget. (laughs) I got this chair and it is a game changer for me. It was about $50, which was a little bit more than I wanted to spend. I found some chairs that were like $30, but then they tack on all these shipping fees. It came out to about $50 and it is so worth it because up until this chair, every time I've come home to see my parents and worked in this little room, I've sat on this super stiff wooden chair and it was so uncomfortable. And I'm glad that I spent the extra time and the little bit of money. I'm going to pause every time there's thunder just to take it in. Now the rain's really starting to come down. Oh my gosh. The trees outside my window are all moving around and leaves are coming off. The breeze is coming in here. I wish you could be here next to me. Also, the car is going by. There's a road that gets a good amount of traffic, especially it's weeknight right now. People use this road by my parents' house too as like a back road from the highway. And when I was growing up, I used to love the sound of cars driving by during the rain. I just feel on cloud nine. There's also some lightning in the background. If this recording gets interrupted, there may be a complete change and I'll have to do this another time. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. I record using Zencaster, which is a web-based program. So if the internet goes out, I can't record anymore. That, that's one of very few, if the only downside to this. Anyways, with no further ado, I'm pulling up my photo album so I can go through moment by moment this road trip and see if I can cover it all with you because so much happened. And as some of the other videos I've made about travel have proven, sometimes it takes me a really long time, but I want to get detailed. I want to bring you along the journey. I will include photos of my trip in the show notes. So if you go to wellevator.com, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. The episode can be found and there'll be a transcript. There'll be a video eventually once it lands on YouTube and you'll have all these visuals of the photos. One thing I would love to do in the future, a kind of advanced thing, but I would love to edit in like pictures and make the YouTube videos a little bit more visually interesting 
but it takes a lot of time to do stuff like that, even with a tool like Zencaster. Don't know if that'll happen until the show becomes another level of success and I can hire somebody to do that. I'll pause here to summarize why I'm so thrilled to have Zencaster as a sponsor of this show. Whether you're a listener who may feel interested in how podcasters make things happen, or perhaps you're a podcaster yourself, you're working on a podcast, you want to improve a current podcast, you're thinking about starting a podcast, I highly recommend Zencaster. One of the many things I like about them is that as an all-in-one web-based solution, they make it so easy to do post-production. And that's the process in which you're mixing your tracks, you're combining audio and video perhaps, you're uh, normalizing loudness, which may not make sense if you haven't done this before, but it really just makes your podcast sound good. Maybe you wanna reduce some hum, other enhancements to your show, make it sound like it was recorded in a studio. You can do all of that in Zencaster. And I find this super fascinating. You know, I remember before I started this show, I was like, how do podcasters do things? This is so overwhelming. And when I found Zencaster, it was a huge relief because prior to that, I was doing it in this very manual piece of software and I was confused. I didn't know how all of the bells and whistles worked. Zencaster just makes everything so simple. There's a ton of tools there, but it's really easy. And this is great for someone who wants to do it all themselves. So maybe I've planted a seed in your head and you're thinking about using Zencaster or perhaps recommending it to someone else, even if you're not a podcaster yourself. I want you to have the same easy experience. So go to Zencaster.com to check it all out. They have a free version if you want to use some of the paid features, you can get 30% off your first three months of that. Go to zencaster.com slash pricing and enter the promo code WELLEVATOR, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. I've linked to this in the show notes for this episode, as well as in the description to make it super easy for you to share your story like I do. With no further ado, let me pull up. I left my place in Los Angeles on August 7th. Today is August 26th for reference. This episode comes out in September. A lot of time has passed since I hit the road. And I started driving towards the first national park. I went to 11 national parks on this trip. Kind of amazed when I added them all up. I was shocked. If you haven't heard me talk about this before, part of the way I plan my road trips is throughout the year, I mark down where I want to go on Google Maps. I find a lot of great suggestions through TikTok. I also hear from friends. Anytime I come across any piece of suggestion, any recommendations for somewhere that looks interesting or beautiful, exciting, I put it on my Google Maps, including the national parks. And I just started plotting out where I wanted to go and made my way across from Los Angeles to Massachusetts ended up being a bit of an L shape, went all the way up the West Coast, and then went across the very top of the states, well, 
Canada a bit, as you're going to hear. I went up a little through Canada, dropped down to the top of the United States, and then started kind of coming down at a at an angle through some of the destinations I'm going to take you through. I stopped at a lot of amazing Tesla superchargers. And this is something that I really appreciate about having a Tesla is one, it has reduced some of the costs. As far as I know, I don't know how much it would have cost for me to drive across the country the way that I did it, right? There are all different routes you can take. Some are much shorter, faster, and cheaper. But for me, I had saved up my money. I talked about this, I think, in the previous episode. I Let's see. I think it was last week's episode where I got into all of the budgeting. And this year, I really tried not to let money be much of a concern. So I haven't even totaled up how much I spent on supercharging, on food, on all that other stuff. And that felt really good. That was a big shift for me. Maybe the first time in a long time I have done that. And I would love to do this whole trip without money being an issue. I would still say that I'm conservative though. I, it kind of there in a different way, if this makes sense. I do have some financial security right now due to the work that I'm doing, but I've also been spending it on all sorts of things. So it'll be interesting to to calculate it all and see if I'm on target for where I wanted to be. As I mentioned in the previous travel budgeting video or podcast episode, I came up with an estimate of how much this entire trip would cost. So that includes driving to the East Coast and driving back to Los Angeles. And I don't know where I'm at with that right now. Hopefully, I'm in a good place. I did use credit cards the entire time not to procrastinate paying, but to maximize all the credit card benefits. I have a travel card that gets points that I will use for future trips. And I have quote regular credit cards that get cash back rewards. So I apply them. So it's kind of like giving me extra money to spend on trips like that. And that felt really good. But the superchargers, aside from the money, are kind of neat. They are more expensive near the cities and definitely more expensive in California that I think that they were the most expensive around Los Angeles, perhaps in some of the other major cities. I passed through Sacramento, also in California. I passed through Seattle and I went to Vancouver, to Minneapolis, to Cleveland, Ohio. And I think those were all the major areas that I drove through. So the price would increase based on there, but also the experience of each supercharger would change. I think the first supercharger I went to was in a really random place called Traver. Seemed random to me. They had this really interesting like farm set up there where they had some sheep or goats outside. I can't remember. Okay. I think they're goats and old like saloon style facade set up and like a little dog park. It, it just seemed like very random to me, but it was really cool. I took Evie to the little dog park. She loved it. I went and walked by the goats and said hi to them and just kind of like took in those sites. I would say that might have been the most interesting place. Then I made my way to Sequoia National Park first park that I went to on this trip. And that was interesting. You know, the sequoias are really incredible. I believe you could go in there without paying, but don't quote me on that. That was something I really noticed on this trip was a lot of the parks I chose to go to didn't stop you to, to pay, didn't stop you to check your park pass. I have one 
that includes unlimited access to all the parks. It ex- actually expires at the end of August. I'll probably get a new one from more visitation and all of that. But Sequoia was mostly driving through. Now, for me, because of time and having a dog, I actually did not do much beyond like outside of the car at most of the parks that I went to. I planned these trips to give myself about two hours per park. And that included the driving, that included stopping and kind of taking in as much as I could. The reason being is that I wanted to go to so many parks. I didn't want this trip to be super long. And I also have a dog and dogs aren't allowed on most of the trails and national parks. That's a challenge. Now with the Tesla, another big advantage is that it'll keep the air conditioning on for your dog. It has a feature called dog mode. I have used that a number of times. It does make me a little uncomfortable also because most of the parks do not have cell service. I wasn't always able to double check that the air conditioning stayed on. And being away from the car for 15, 30 minutes, if something went wrong with my car and it stopped working, my dog would be stuck in a really hot car. So if you have anxiety and are extra careful like I am, going to international park that way is not ideal. But when I got into Sequoia, I did go to see the biggest tree. I think it's the biggest tree in the world. I wish I had all these statistics written down in front of me, (laughs) but it's called General Sherman Tree, I believe. And you have to go about, I can't remember if it was a quarter mile or a half a mile. It wasn't very far, but it was down a hill. You park at this lot, and then go down this really cool winding path to the tree. You can take your pictures, you can look at it, and then you go back up the trail. And people were kind of huffing and puffing on the way back up. And I was walking as quickly as possible to that tree because I didn't want to leave Evie. It was, you know, hot August summer day. It all worked out though. It was really cool to see the tree, although it was quite crowded at that park. That's the other interesting thing this time of year at the national parks. There are a lot of people and it's hard to really take in natural beauty, to appreciate nature when there are people everywhere, there are kids crying, there are people talking loudly, taking photos and videos. At that tree, I barely got any good footage or photos of it because it was almost entirely surrounded by people. But it was neat to see. I wish I had spent a little bit more time savoring it, but I saw it very quickly so I could get back to the car to see Evie. There were also like cool rocks. Like there is one that was like propped up interesting way right off the road that you could go like stand underneath. There were trees. I can't remember if I drove through a tree. That might have been in a different part of the park now that I think about it, going through my photos. I did walk through a tree. There was another like tree grove beyond the general Sherman tree. There are a few other destined, like special trees, I guess. And one of them was this little grove with all these cool big trees. And one was like fallen down and they had carved out the middle of it so you could walk through it. That was really cool. I mean, these trees are very impressive and photos do not do them justice. They almost look like something you would see out of the movie Avatar. I was telling my dad about them and he said that they sounded like the fake trees that we saw in Singapore in the gardens by the bay. So I have some photos. If you haven't listened to that episode about my Singapore trip, 
which I had done in July of this year. Go check that out and hear me talk about how amazing nature was. Speaking of nature, I loaded up a bunch of audiobooks to listen to on this trip. I use the app called Libby by Overdrive, which allows you to borrow audiobooks for free from your local library. It's a game changer. Oftentimes, you have to wait several weeks or sometimes months to get books. So what I do on these trips is I plan out at least a month in advance any books that I would like to listen to. And you can put them on hold or like get in the waitlist queue. And it worked out perfectly. I got some really great books. And one of my favorites is called The Nature Fix. And I listened to that. It is a super in-depth book. I could do a whole episode about it. Maybe I will. I'd like to go back and actually read it because there were so many amazing statistics about how nature benefits our physical and mental health. And she actually, the author, has a whole section about Singapore at the end of the book. It made me really grateful that I got to go there. Uh, Also talks about the natural parks. Then I went to Kings Canyon National Park, which is right next to Sequoia. In fact, they're kind of lumped together. They're called separate names, but it's almost as if... I don't know. It's a little confusing. I don't know why they're separated. I had to rush through there a bit because I was getting short on time in terms of where else I needed to go. And that was a big theme for this trip. In hindsight, I would have planned my trip and given myself at least an extra hour of time every day, meaning that I tend to plan my trips based on when the sun rises and sunsets. And I'll jam pack things in. I'll estimate how much time I want to spend at each place. And almost every single day of this two and a half week trip, I was an hour behind schedule. And that would mean I'd end up not doing something that I wanted to do or I'd rush through it. And that didn't feel great. I would have slowed down a bit. That probably would have added on another day to my trip, which would have been worth it overall. But it's tough with me camping and driving and planning things around just the lighting of the natural sunlight. (laughs) Planning my trips around that has definitely changed my relationship to time. And that was kind of cool, actually. I left Kings Canyon and headed towards the next park. On the way there, I stopped at a place that I really enjoy. And I'm super grateful that there's a Tesla charger there. It's called Pea Soup Anderson's. It is one of two locations in California. It's designed to be like a Danish restaurant. And all of their decor is influenced by Danish style. I'm actually part Danish. My last name, Lauritsen, is Danish. And I grew up with split pea soup. My dad loves that. This might have been my fourth time visiting this restaurant. And it's just so quaint. It kind of feels a little touristy, but not in a turnoff way. So being able to charge my car, I went in and got some soup. And it's already like, it was so quick. I think I was in and out of that restaurant like 15 or 20 minutes. And just got a bowl of soup and left and got back in my car and drove off to the next spot. And I also bought some of their canned soup, which is really good to share with my dad and my sister. I took my sister there last year, I guess, when she visited me in Los Angeles. Then I headed on and I had another charge stop, another cool place. I think Southern and and kind of mid-California have some of the cooler chargers that I've been to. This one was in a spot called Hollister. 
And there's like all these cool little shops and restaurants to go to. I've been there before. There were also randomly peacocks walking around. I thought that was kind of cool. My stop for the evening and my first camping destination on this trip was Pinnacles National Park, which I really feel like I only scratched the surface of it because from what I read, it seems like most of the park you can see by walking on the trails and they have caves and all sorts of neat spots to go to. To drive through it, there really isn't too much to see. I appreciated it, but I didn't really feel like I got to experience that. And that was kind of a theme for a number of places that I went. But I did really enjoy staying the night there. I had this really tucked away camp spot where I felt like I was near other campers, but nobody could see me because there are bushes all around. And it's interesting, the more I go camping, the more I start to become a little particular about where I spend the night. And you can go on campground websites and pick out your spot depending on availability. I went and read some reviews and looked at some photos, picked out my site for the night and it was really nice. I'm really glad I read the reviews though, because... (laughs) I was warned about the raccoons. People said in the reviews of this campground that the raccoons are really aggressive and you should make sure not to leave food out because they'll get into it. And within like 10 minutes of getting there, I spotted a raccoon just right there next to my car. I was outside setting up my tent. That raccoon was like ready to dig into anything he could find or she could find. I kind of got out of my tent and yelled at this <laughs> raccoon and it scurried away. I didn't see it again. I was nervous all night long. Like, is it going to break into my tent while I'm sleeping? And previously, but I bought a tent. I might've talked about this after my May 2022 trip. I bought this $80 tent because it's an SUV tent, meaning that it has an attachment that can go around the back of my car. Now, my car is not an SUV. I have a Tesla Model 3, which is a sedan. However, a lot of Tesla Model 3 drivers use this exact tent because you can still open up the trunk of your car, access that. You can sleep in the tent or you can sleep in your car. I decided to get it because mainly I wanted a way to legitimize myself while I'm at these campgrounds or RV parks just so that people wouldn't think it was weird that there was just some Tesla randomly parked there. Sometimes I feel like I stand out a lot. And two, I wanted the option to sleep in a tent or to put storage in or or if somebody travels with me just to have like another room virtually. In my first big road trip in 2020, my friend Leanne came with me and she slept in a tent, but it was super tiny. It was separate from my car. Sometimes she felt uncomfortable about that. If we had had this SUV tent, it would have been a game changer. And it would have been really fun too, because like I could have opened up the trunk and said hi to her. I sleep in my car. I have a, a really neat, compact mattress from this company called Test Mat. And it's been great. I upgraded it a little this year. I got a sleeping pad for it, just a foam sleeping pad. It adds a little extra layer of comfort. I also put my yoga mat underneath it for even more comfort and another way to bring my yoga mat with me on my trips. And then I put a blanket. I have this cool one from this brand called Rumple, and it's like a sleeping bag material. And I always bring that blanket with me because it's great for camping, but it also adds like another level. So I have like four layers basically underneath me that's made the car sleeping really nice. 
And if you haven't heard me talk about this before, I use something called Tesla camp mode, which keeps the air circulating at whatever temperature you want. So I set it to 68 degrees, no matter what the temperature is outside, I feel very comfortable. And sometimes I set up the tent as extra storage, as a place to hang out. This trip was interesting because I really thought I was going to use it more. After I left Pinnacles, I think I only use it a few more times. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but oh my gosh, it's so funny. I have like a video of me scaring off this raccoon. I'll probably put a picture of the tent in the show notes for you. Oh, you know what else the tent is great for? And this might be TMI, but it's just the realities of camping. I use the tent as like my bathroom and I have two different toilets I bring on my trips. One is this generic fold-up toilet that I got on Amazon. I will link to it. That thing is pretty cool. It's great for a tent bathroom. I have a pop-up tent that is commonly used as a porta potty. And this is very common for campers. I mean, most campers have some sort of a toilet set up unless they're dependent on the campgrounds facilities. But I've found a number of issues with being dependent on that. Number one is that some campgrounds do not have flush toilets. You're going to the bathroom in a pit toilet and pit toilets can be absolutely disgusting if they are not regularly cleaned or they'll have porta potties set up. And Pinnacles, actually, the bathroom near my campsite was closed. They set up porta potties temporarily. And I just find them very unpleasant. They're kind of like something I will only use if I have to. Carrying around in my car a portable toilet avoids that. The pop-up tent, which is really small, and that's designed for changing your clothes, going to the bathroom, whatever you want to use it for. And it's really great. Like It literally pops up into place and then you can take it down. It folds really flat. Since I had my SUV tent set up the next morning in Pinnacles, I just set up my toilet in there too. And I remember thinking it was so cool to use the bathroom outside. It was like 6 a.m. and I'm just going to the bathroom in my tent. I love it. I also have this amazing toilet called the Carlu, which is designed to use in your car. And I've raved about this before, but it's worth mentioning again if you haven't heard me talk about this. Oh my gosh, that thing made this trip so wonderful because the past couple years that I've been doing these road trips, trying to figure out where and how I was going to pee on the road was so frustrating. And the Carlu is set up for you to sit in your car seat. It feels like a regular toilet seat. It's big and wide, but it's shallow, is very discreet. I put up some coverings in my car and just sit there and pee and then dispose of it wherever I can. It's a whole nother story. I asked the owner of Carlu about urine disposal and she was telling me that it's really hard to talk about publicly because of all these different opinions or rules or whatever. I will not get into that. However, one option is, and this is what I use with my fold-up toilet, is you can get these biodegradable bags and this special powder that you pour into them. When you urinate, when you go number two, whatever bathroom, whatever needs to come out of your body, it goes into that bag and then you can close it up and throw it in the trash. 
And that's what I will do sometimes. But I have other ways of, you know, you can pour it into toilets, whatever else you decide to do camping. I do recommend learning about the rules, like digging a hole in the sand you can do and covering up. It has to be certain than dirt, not just sand, but it has to be a certain depth, has to be a certain distance from the water, like learning all of those things is really helpful. So I'm not going to make this whole episode about how to get rid of human waste. Anyways, that's the toilet talk. And I think it's kind of fun. Like if you can embrace that camping becomes really interesting. And like with my tent, you can keep it open, like just has a netting. And I'm just sitting there like looking up at the clouds thinking like, wow, I wish I could always go to the bathroom outside. And yeah, the tent was really cool just to have a way to organize my stuff in private, like because it, it can be closed up so no one can see inside of it. I would just store things in there sometimes, or I would change my clothes in there. I would reorganize things in there. It also is really great for bugs. And wow, bugs became a challenge for me on this trip. It seems like more than they have in the past. I don't know why. I might have been paying extra close attention to them because I thought I was prepared. I had that tent, plus I had a citronella candle and two different types of bug spray, actually three. I brought this brand called Earthkind, which I have to say kind of let me down. I don't know if it was the situations that I was in or what, but it didn't always work. I really like the formulation of Earthkind. I do recommend trying it, but did not prevent bug bites as much as I would like it to. I had a second brand whose name I don't remember. It was like an old natural bug spray. It might have been expired. If bug sprays expire, I don't know. And then I also brought along bug bands, which I brought with me to Costa Rica. And I don't remember those bug bands being much of an issue there, but for some reason, they were not cutting it. And they're basically these bands that you can wear around your wrists, around your ankles. You can strap them to clothing, a backpack. They were not very helpful. I can recommend that you try them, but I'm not going to say that any of that stuff worked. Even the citronella candle, I think I only used that once on this trip. And it just like didn't do much. I don't know if the bugs have gotten worse or what, but I feel like I might need to bring deep bug spray with me next time because they just were intense and I would get horrible reactions to the mosquitoes. I bring that up because the tent is one way I tried to avoid the bugs, but setting it up, you're still exposed to them, especially at night. That's one of the reasons that I try to get to the parks or the campsites I'm going to before sunset because the bugs are generally a little bit more manageable than after Pinnacles, I started making my way further north, actually towards the ocean. I had a couple places on my Google Maps that I wanted to see. And that took me through Santa Cruz, which I realized I've never really spent time in before. I thought I'd been there, but it did not look familiar to me at all. I used to live in San Francisco. And I thought that maybe I'm one of my drives in between LA and San Francisco or wherever I was going. I've been to San Francisco more times than I can count. I thought maybe I'd gone through there, but it was not what I pictured in my head. I thought it was like right on the beach and like I had this whole vision of it. And part of it is, but the main area I went to was not, and especially for charging my car that was further inland. The car charger was at a Whole Foods though. 
and I went in there and got some various groceries. I came across these awesome crackers that I became really into. They had the word eat in them. I remember to link to them. They're one of my favorite finds on this trip. And I saw them, I think also somewhere else farther north than Santa Cruz, I found those crackers. And I'm going to keep looking for them when I go back to LA or order them online because they're that good. And I also got some fresh potatoes. Potatoes were something I was craving a ton on this trip. And that's tricky because I love potatoes. I've seen nothing wrong with them. But I feel like when I eat a high carb diet, it impacts my body and kind of weighs me down. And I have this ripple effect. Like right now, I just feel like my body is bloated or something. I don't know. It could be in my head. I will acknowledge that. But I was craving them. I was practicing my intuitive eating and I ate a lot of potatoes in various forms on this trip. And I remember that morning just like yearning for them and got some at the Whole Foods hot bar and they really hit the spot. (laughs) Before I get into the rest of this episode, I want to take a moment to acknowledge my brand partner, Athletic Greens, which has a product called AG1. I started taking this right before I did some international traveling because I want to take extra good care of my gut health and immune system. And it was awesome. I have trouble remembering to take a bunch of supplements. And especially when I'm going somewhere, I don't want to like bring all these capsules with me. So I really appreciated having this all-in-one powder and they actually have it in individual packet sizes. It was perfect. I drank it every morning at the hotel. When I was traveling on the airplane, I had it. If I was on the way somewhere, like in a car, I took it with me and it was just super easy to put into my water. And it just gave me peace of mind knowing that it was supporting my digestion, my sleep quality, mental clarity, my recovery from all the travel and the exercise that I was doing. It tastes really good too. It only has one gram of sugar and yet tastes like a delicious tropical juice at a much cheaper price. It's less than $3 a day. And that's exciting because there's a little perk for you. Athletic Greens is going to give you five free travel pack sizes plus a free year one supply of their immune supporting vitamin D, which I take as well. I'll tell you about another time. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. And you can take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance just like me. If you are, have any trouble, the link is in the description of the episode. It's also in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Check it out and let me know what you think. Then I went to this little area called Sharkfin Cove that I must have seen on TikTok or something. Didn't know why I had saved that in my maps. I'm trying to become better at marking down one little trick is when you save a location on Google Maps, they're underneath the save button. There's like a little section where you can put down a note. And I wish I'd written notes about where or why I learned about these uh, places. But Sharkfin Cove was really cool. It was kind of hidden away. It's a tiny little parking lot and you can't see the cove from the parking lot. So I parked there thinking like, I don't know how far of a walk this is. Like, I don't know if this is worth going to. And you go down this little path and turn a corner and all of a sudden this beautiful little cove with a rock 
formation that looks like a shark fin in the water sticks out and it's really neat. And there weren't a ton of people down there. There were enough people that you could see how it's a bit of a popular place, but it wasn't crowded. And people were just down there like having picnics, hanging out with their friends. And I walked down, I put Evie in her backpack. I got this really cool dog backpack that was wonderful for things like that. I can't remember if dogs were allowed there, but I'll often put Evie in the backpack just to go on a quick walk with her. I did learn something on this trip that's important and I want to do a little bit more research on it. But it turns out that some of these dog backpacks out there are not great for warm summer days. It might sound obvious. It did not occur to me until I was in Chicago visiting a friend on this trip and she told me about how they can be dangerous. I'm now going to be more careful. I always bring a bottle of water with me for Evie. It's like a special dog bottle and try to be really mindful of how she's feeling and not keep her in there for a long time. But looking back on this trip, I just wish I'd paid a little bit closer attention. She was fine. She didn't have any issues. But having heard about the dangers of using some of these dog backpacks in in the summertime or in direct sunlight, it did raise some concerns. The backpack has like mesh on the top and it has air holes on the sides. I thought it was completely fine, but apparently it creates like from the direct sunlight, it can just kind of almost like a car-like effect for your dog. Or you can put a cat in there. You, you could use these backpacks for anything. I shouldn't even refer to them as a dog backpack. But this one that I bought is really great. It's very comfortable. It expands out the back. So it's very compact when you use it as a backpack. But when you want to put your dog on the ground, you can expand out the backpack so they have more room to lay down. And it's also designed to be really comfortable and sturdy to wear. It has clips that go around your waist. Like it was great. So I was disappointed to hear that there's been some issues with those bags. This issue is more talked about because I did what I thought was a lot of research on it. And then turns out they aren't as as front facing or or they don't provide warnings before you buy it. Want to make sure I bring that up. After Sharkfin Cove, I drove up to an area called Moss Beach, which I definitely remember seeing on social media because the particular spot of Moss Beach that I went to has a forest next to it. You can walk through this little short trail to overlook the ocean. And it's just the contrast of these gray trees that look very mysterious. They remind me of what I saw when I made my way up to Washington on this trip. And then all of a sudden you pass through the trees to overlook on the cliffside of the ocean. And it was really neat. Not quite as beautiful as I thought. That's another big thing I had from this trip. Sharkfin Cove was actually one of the exceptions. I thought it was more impressive in person than I remember seeing photos and videos of it. But Moss Beach, I thought, that the photos make it look a little bit more majestic than it actually is. It's cool. I don't know if I would necessarily go out of my way to go there. If it's nearby, where else you're going, definitely check it out. But for me, it was like I added it as a destination and I got there and thought, eh. (laughs) They do allow dogs in some of the trails and others. I brought Evie in her backpack. And I think that's usually the rule because... People don't always clean up after their dogs or they want it to be more peaceful. When Evie's in the backpack, she's super quiet. 
She obviously doesn't leave a mess. She doesn't interact with other dogs or people. And it's just like a way for me to go to some areas without leaving her in the car. I don't know for sure if that's breaking the rules. I think that's doing something, assuming that dogs on a leash on the ground are not allowed. I also don't want to encourage you to to do things like this without double checking for yourself. I'm not recommending you bring your dog or animals in areas where they're not allowed. That was actually something that I shifted this year versus last year when I went to national parks. I went to Glacier National Park in 2021, for example, and brought Evie on long trails in the backpack. And it was great from a safety standpoint for her because it was cold and it was under a lot of tree cover. Like that wasn't an issue. But in hindsight, after doing a little bit more reading and research about national parks, I think that they don't want dogs around at all because if they bark, they can scare away wildlife or they can attract wildlife to you, which could be dangerous to you and other people in the area. And their smell can do the same thing. I always thought dogs weren't allowed on the trail because they might be in danger if they're walking or because people won't clean up after them. I'm sure that's part of the concern. I didn't realize that their smell or their sound potentially could cause issue with wildlife. I guess also if that attracted wildlife to you, you could be attacked by a bear or something like that. Now I'm becoming more cautious about it and definitely not recommending that other people do that. To my point earlier, kept me from going on on a lot of trails at these parks. After Moss Beach, I started making my way away from the coast and I went to Sacramento where I saw my dear friend, Tony, who runs the brand Plant Based on a Budget. It was so wonderful. We had a really short amount of time together, I think like 90 minutes or so. And she brought her dog. We walked around a park. I charged my car. She brought me some homemade food. I like this delicious tofu dish. She also gave me this delicious sugar-free jam. I forget what the brand is called. I will put a note to add it into the show notes because it was another one of those products I had on my trip that I really enjoyed. And it's chia seeds and berries. And that's virtually it. No added sugar. I'm kind of like drooling just thinking about it. It was incredibly satisfying. And it was nice to get that as a little travel gift from Tony. And then I headed up to Lassen Volcanic National Park. What's funny is when I think about this park, nothing immediately comes to mind. I'm really glad I'm looking through the photos of it though, because it doesn't seem like it left a lasting impression on me. But when I look through these pictures that I took, I remember how incredibly beautiful it was. It's an old volcano. I think the last time it erupted was about 100 years ago, early 1900s. And I got there at sunset and it was one of the most beautiful sunsets I saw on my entire trip. And you're driving up to the peak. I don't think you actually go to the very top, but you go pretty high up on this volcano and then you start to weave down a little bit. And that's where I camped. There's a few different campgrounds that you could go to. And these photos are absolutely stunning. I will add some of those into the show notes because they're just like orange and pink and like purpley gray, bluish clouds and just these beautiful little lakes all over. That campground is pretty nice. It had great stargazing. I try to take night photos at every campground I go to. 
I have a little Canon camera that I've mostly used for video footage, but it has a star mode on it to make it really easy to take pictures of the night sky. And I really enjoyed doing that at this park. The downside to this park was that all the spots were super close together, very different from Pinnacles, where, like I said, I had more privacy and you couldn't see your neighbors here. You could see almost everybody at the campsite. But in some ways, that is really soothing for me, traveling by myself or, or just with Evie. I'm the only human. <laughs> I kind of like being close to other people, like seeing them, because it makes me feel like there's a sh- less of a chance of like someone coming over to my car in the middle of the night. And if something ever went wrong, it'd be very easy to get the attention of another camper. Some people don't like that because they want to feel like they're on their own (laughs) or maybe they're concerned of noise. Camping in my car though, it actually blocks out a lot of the sound. I also bring a little sound machine with me. I'm not bothered by sounds of other people if I can get in the car and they're not being super loud. I didn't set up my tent that night, but I did create a fire. And there's something so special about setting up a campfire. Most campgrounds have a little space for it. Like it's called a fire pit. If you bring your own wood from either someplace like in the campsite, you can often buy wood from the campground, although it can be expensive or somewhere very close by. Something I've learned is that you don't want to bring wood in from outside the area that you're camping in and creating campfires because you could bring in invasive bug species, I suppose. I think I collected some off the side of the road, which again, I'm not 100% sure is allowed. (laughs) Not within the national park. It was outside the national, like right outside the national park. I've had friends say that that's okay. So I was driving there and saw a bunch of dead wood on the side. I stopped and collected it. If I'm wrong about that, A, I apologize, and B, please let me know. I need to research it a little bit more. Some of these rules, just like where you dispose of human waste, like it's confusing. It's not always super straightforward. I I suppose the human waste thing, as I mentioned, is generally dig a hole and cover it and make sure it's, I think, 200 feet away from water. But there's still times where you're like, well, like, what do I do with urine? You know, that's been an interesting thing about learning how to camp. And same thing with the campfires. I, I suppose if I'm not cutting down a live tree and I'm not taking too much from the ground cover. Last year when I was in Glacier National Park, camp host corrected me because I was like picking up little twigs for my like fire starter. And he said, you're not allowed to do that in the campgrounds because if everybody did that, there would be no cover for the floor of the ground the and the plants could suffer because they actually need the little twigs and stuff as part of the cycle of nature. I don't do that in campgrounds anymore, but I thought it's okay if you collect it from outside the park. Fingers crossed that was okay to do. It was very nice to have a little campfire and I've actually brought along all sorts of little tools. So you can make your own fire starter using lint from the dryer and candle wax. This year I had some of that leftover from previous trips. And then I also bought some pre-made versions of that. I found like some of the candle wax, like coconut wax or soy wax doesn't work quite as well as some of the other types of wax that you can buy. I just don't like to burn unnatural candles. Making them myself is not always ideal. That along with some 
paper. I'll just like collect scraps of paper along my trip and save those for creating fires. And this year started using an electric lighter, which didn't work super well. I have a regular lighter and matches as backups, but I tried to use the electric lighter as much as possible because it's reusable. Like you literally charge it. It's fascinating technology. And there's like two sides of the lighter. And when you when you turn it on, there's little like electric spark goes between the two poles on it. It just wasn't ideal. I think it's great if you're lighting a candle, which is how they're advertised. But lighting a campfire was a little trickier. So I would like stick a little piece of paper in between the little points and light that and then drop it into the firewood. And I've like learned all these new techniques to start fires and started to get really good at them. And that's like so satisfying, you know, I feel like I've learned some good survival techniques. I also bring along a little mini pop-up tent for Evie. I've had that for at least a year now. I might've bought it last year. And that I'll set up for her with her food and her bed. And so when I'm setting up my car for the night, when I'm having a campfire, she's like all safe in her own little spot. It's not safe enough to leave her there, which is a big no-no at campgrounds. You should never leave your dog unattended for all the reasons I mentioned, like with trails is A, they could wander off, they could get lost, a wild animal could come. And a lot of these parks, you're like in the middle of the woods, even though there's a ton of people around, it's still possible for wild animals to show up. And that sometimes puts me on edge. I'm always very cautious about where EB is. And then the next day, I just basically drove out of the park. I didn't spend a ton of time there. My biggest impression of the park was driving there at sunset, but I did walk down. There was a little lake next to the park. It was actually called Summit Lake, the campground. And there's a tiny little lake there that was really pretty to look at the next day. I did see a snake there, but it was dead. It was right by my campground. I'm not afraid of snakes. I I don't want to encounter one by foot necessarily. Earlier this year, when I went on my Utah and Colorado trip, I saw a huge yellow snake crossing the road. It got very close to running it over, but it was so big I thought it was a big stick across the road. And when I got closer to it, I was like, oh my gosh, it is a huge snake. I was very glad that I was in my car for that. Fascinated by it, not afraid. And speaking of which, I saw all sorts of animals along the roadways. I saw deer crossing, of course. I saw marmot. I think I was in Sequoia. I saw marmot run across the road. That was really exciting. It's fun to to see all this. Oh, I came across a picture of those crackers. They're called Everybody Eat Cheeseless Thins. Oh my gosh. They're so good. They are very allergy friendly, no gluten, no corn, all plant-based, super simple ingredients. Would definitely I bought them twice, like I said, I would definitely get them again. Then after that, I went back towards the coast in California and drove through Redwood National Park. Realized I'd already been there in 2010, Robert Cheek and I drove through there. Uh, If you don't know Robert Cheek, he is um, a vegan bodybuilder and he does a lot in the fitness world now and just a really amazing guy. We went on a a book tour for his very first book. We were dating back then and drove through the Redwoods and it was nice to go past some of these areas again. See the water. I remember from that trip, we actually went the opposite direction from, I think we were in Oregon, drove down to Los Angeles. So to go 
from Los Angeles north. It was kind of neat to see the ocean, what that looked like on that side of the road and just how the stopping to see the trees and just reflecting on what who I am now 12 years later. Then we headed towards ooh Crater Lake National Park. That park I was so excited to see. I had anticipated so much. It's actually in a virtual reality fitness program that I use. I have an Oculus Quest. Actually, I think it's called a Meta Quest now. They changed their name. And I use this app called Supernatural, which is a really wonderful fitness app. And one of the fitness classes is set at Crater Lake. (laughs) So like, I couldn't wait to see it in person. It was really cool. I camped there too. It was just a really chill campground, which I don't remember what that experience is like. Let me see from these photos. Oh, yeah. It was interesting because I got there and didn't have a lot of charge left on my car, which can be an issue at national parks. I wish that the parks were a little bit more supportive of electric cars because a lot of times their superchargers are too far spaced out. In general, Tesla spaces out the superchargers that you can easily get from one to another. People always ask me this, like, how long does it take to charge and how much does it cost? And generally, the longest I'll stay at a supercharger is 50 minutes, five zero, but average, I would say 15 to 20 minutes, which goes by incredibly fast. I actually look forward to the longer charges because that's when I'll get work done on the road. That's when I'll eat food sometimes. Like I plan my whole day around these superchargers and what I need to accomplish. And 20 minutes goes by so fast, I can barely work. And that was a juggling knack this whole trip. But the other issue is that the campgrounds are sometimes a little too far away from the chargers. And if you're camping in your car like I am, overnight, you're draining the battery. There's a feature on the Tesla called camp mode, which, as I mentioned, it keeps the car at the perfect temperature. It keeps your electronics on so you can charge things. I love that, but it sucks up about 20% of the battery. I have to do math the entire trip trying to figure out how to get from one point to another while camping. I bring this up because this the only time I think on this trip, maybe one of two times in two and a half weeks, was at Crater Lake. I got there. I knew that they had a charger inside the park, but I also knew that that charger was not functioning properly. So I show up around 8 p.m., which is right before the sun starts to go down, at least at this time of year. And there were already people there charging their cars. There were actually two cars parked at the charging station. And I think that was the only one in the entire park. And that's not a huge issue because I could just wait for them to be done. But you never know how long someone's going to need to charge. So I pull up there and just like had my fingers crossed that they would leave soon. And they did. But when I went up to charge my car, I found that one of the two chargers was broken. And that charger charged faster than the second one. That wouldn't have been a huge issue if that was in the campground. But it was actually right outside the campground, meaning that I had to sit there and wait for my car to finish charging. Now, I suppose I could have like taken out my tent and set up my tent and slept in in my tent while charging my car. But that was not ideal. 
And other people wanted to charge. As soon as I plugged in my car, another person showed up to charge their car too. And because there was only one charger working, I felt horrible because they too needed to charge. And it was about 8.30 or 9 p.m. at this point. They're waiting for me. It was like this whole debacle. If you're not somebody that would enjoy or could easily handle that type of stress, having an electric car can be a challenge for a trip like this. Long story short, I charged my car until about 11 o'clock at night. And I just sat there and did some work and walked Evie around and I think ate some food. I got ready for bed. I set up my car, got everything ready and had to wait it out. And I had to do that last year in Glacier National Park at the time. And I think this might still be the case there. It's actually really hard to go there with an electric car because this Tesla charger is super far away. And that year I had to charge my car twice in the park in order to get from to the next charger. And I just had to wait around for hours as my car charged. It doesn't really bother me because, you know, I could take a nap. I have work to do. I could watch something on my devices. I always download movies and TV shows onto my iPad so I can watch things without cell service. And I really liked that actually. On this trip, I watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It made me feel all warm and cozy and I'd just like lay in my car and eat snacks and watch my show at night. And I looked forward to that actually. And I was able to work a lot because especially at a spot where my car was charging, I had enough cell signal. So I tether my computer to my phone so that I can use the internet basically from my phone and I'm able to get work done. People often ask me like, how do you work on these trips? I just plan out my whole work schedule around this car charging time. Long story short, that charging meant that I didn't get to my campsite until a little after 11 p.m. And I just parked my car and got into the back and fell asleep, woke up the next morning and I was off. And I drove from that campsite over to the scenic parts of the park, which is centered around the Crater Lake. And interesting fact, it is the deepest lake in the United States. And I think one of the deepest in the entire world, maybe like the second deepest, or I could be wrong about that. I know for a fact it's the deepest in the US. It's really cool. There's like this little island in there and it's just really neat to look at. I feel like the photos barely do it justice. I think it's just, you can see the whole lake is a crater. And then just to imagine how deep it is, it's, it's really amazing. And I wish I had had a little bit more time there. Some friends of mine were telling me how they, they've gone swimming in there and diving and took little, you can take little boat rides. That would have been fun, but I did not plan for that. After Crater Lake, I started making my way up further in Oregon. By the way, Crater Lake is in Oregon. And I was so excited because I went to Bend, Oregon for the first time. I used to have a friend that lived there and I just heard all these stories about how beautiful Bend is. And it truly is. It was even better than I could have imagined. I stopped and saw a friend there for a few hours. That was so wonderful. I was deeply nourished by these experiences with friends. And I found myself feeling more relaxed about COVID. I've talked a lot about how I've had trouble during COVID. I felt kind of weighed down with my COVID concerns, but they started to melt away on this trip. Not that I don't think that it's serious or take it seriously, but 
seeing people one-on-one who I know are mindful of it, like Tony in Sacramento, she's careful about it. But this friend in Oregon, like barely sees anyone. She lives in this relatively small town-ish, Bend counts a small town. It felt like a small town to me. And I just felt this freedom and relaxation seeing people like that and just had a delightful time. And after I visit her, I got to go to some really cool places. One of them, I was so grateful that I saw on social media, it's called Sister's Coffee. And it is this wonderful cafe in this small town called Sister's, a little on the touristy side, but in a cool way, like all these cool shops and in this beautiful part of Oregon. And it was absolutely delicious coffee. I actually bought some coffee beans from them and brought them back for my dad and We enjoyed them today in Massachusetts. That was really fun. But the decor of Sisters was so nice. I walked in there and I was like, I know this is going to be great coffee. And it was. They made me a phenomenal latte. And I wish I could have hung out there longer. That was another place I wish I had had like an extra 20 minutes or so. But I'm glad I didn't hang out too long because my next stop was one of my favorites from the whole trip. And that is in this area called Tamwich Park, aka the Blue Pool. And it is about a two mile long hike, very dog friendly. I was so grateful for that. Evie didn't really want to walk too far. This is another reason they have the dog backpack. Is it's not always that dogs aren't allowed on trails. It's that Evie's about 13 years old now. I put her in that backpack so she can relax and I can go enjoy a trail. So she sat in there. I hiked, it took me about 45 minutes to an hour to get to the blue pool. And it's literally blue, (laughs) just like the name says. It's it's this little body of lake. It's just like a pool of water. And it's interesting because on the way to the pool, you're walking along a creek or a river. I don't know. What's the difference between a creek and a river? No idea, but it's like rushing water going past you almost the entire trail, you're walking right alongside the water and it's just so peaceful. And there were people there, decent amount of other hikers, but there was enough space in between me and them for me to just like take in the nature and and feel some solitude. And the water is so gorgeous. I was trying to describe the color to somebody and I'll put the picture in the show notes, but if you want to imagine it, Think of a glass of water, clear glass with water in it, and you took some blue food coloring and dropped in a few drops, and it's got that blue tint, but you can still see through the glass. That's what this blue pool looks like. I'm looking at a picture right now, and you can see the rocks below it, and it's got a slight tint of green. It might have been the reflection of the trees, but the water is just this beautiful, pure blue. It was so pretty and so worth it. I mean, I'm not a big hiker, I've realized. (laughs) The fact that I can't go on a lot of trails in these parks while traveling with a dog is not a big deal to me because I don't really enjoy long walks like that. And especially if they involve going up hills, I've always struggled. Maybe it's a form of asthma. I don't know. Like I get really out of breath no matter how in shape I am. I struggle on trails. I don't enjoy them for the most part. This trail did have maybe like a third of it, maybe a half 
of the trail length was slightly uphill, but it wasn't hard. If it was on all trails, <laughs> I would guess it would get an easy mark. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I don't really use all trails, but it's a website you can go on to see like how hard a trail is. But, you know, in the length that I found myself at times being like, when am I going to get there? I'm like using my Apple Watch, like seeing how much further I have to go. When I got to the pool, though, it was so worth it. And the pleasant trail and the trees and the way the sun came through the leaves. I mean, it was wonderful. I felt the same way when I went to Glacier National Park last year and went on those trails. They were so hard, though. It was worth it when I got to the destinations, but the journey there was unpleasant for me. And that's something that I'm still trying to figure out about myself. Like, can I learn to like hiking (laughs) or am I always going to feel slightly uncomfortable during the experience? But I would recommend this trail. There were like little kids there. It wasn't too hard. What was interesting though, is I could not figure out how to get to the actual water. Like when you arrive at the pool on the first part of the trail that's next to it, you're overlooking the water and it's down probably 20 or 30 feet if I had to estimate. But there somehow is a way to get around the pool and to this like little beachy type area. And I saw people down there, no idea how they got down there. I kept looking for it. Like the path became very ambiguous and somehow other people found their way there. But like, I tried to follow other people and they were like going in different directions and it was very confusing. And it was an interesting moment. I have two choices. I can go and figure this out and just wait till somebody shows me the way, or I can just look at it from up above on the ledge and appreciate it. And that's what I ended up doing. I thought, I'm sure there's a a nice perspective from when you get closer to the water but I didn't have to do that. It didn't feel crucial for me. I skipped it and I just took it in and walked back. And I felt grateful for that opportunity to gain some clarity. I definitely felt that at a number of times on this trip, especially given the schedule and the fast pace of things. There were times I had to compromise and I had to decide to do things or skip things. And sometimes I think that's a a helpful exercise. I took a lot of really great photos and going through them right now and just thinking like, wow, I'm so glad I was able to capture it. That was one of those places I was really glad to have the Carlu because at the beginning of the trail, they have a pit toilet and it was so disgusting. I opened up the door of the bathroom to go use it. And I was like, there is no way I'm sitting on that toilet. It was so gross. And I felt so grateful. I went back to my car and I used my car loo and went on my way. And sometimes you have those moments where you know why you own a piece of equipment. (laughs) And then that night, let's see, I think I'm going to wrap this episode up soon and, and make it a part two because there's so much more to tell you. I'm only a few days into the trip at this point. That night, where did I stay? Oh, I stayed at Mount Hood. That was so cool. So it's a national forest, not a national park. It was absolutely beautiful. I ended up going to see a lot of mountains on this trip. And Mount Hood still was one of the more beautiful places I went to. And when I say still, meaning I just wasn't expecting it. It was actually just a stop because I knew I would get there about sunset. 
And I, it was on my list of places to visit, but I didn't expect to find it as magnificent as it was. That was also one of my favorite campgrounds. It was just set up in a really neat way. I think it was called Government Camp. There were a ton, an almost overwhelming amount of campgrounds at Mount Hood. And that's interesting. I feel like national forests tend to have a lot more camping options than national parks, depending on where you go. Most national parks, you get to choose from like a couple, maybe 10 parks, unless they're a really, really big park. Most of them just feel like they have a few major destinations. But at Mount Hood, I think there were like 30 campgrounds there, maybe more. I had a really hard time deciding, but I chose the one that had one of the better views of the mountain. And I pulled in like right after sunset, it was about twilight. And it was so neat the way that they were set up, like tons of privacy and like it was right off the road. And yet like it felt I was in the middle of a forest. It was so cool. And unfortunately, though, I think that night a little critter crawled into my car because the next day my car started to have a dead animal smell. And I have never experienced this in all my road trips. I don't even know, like in my lifetime, if I've ever had this happen. But unfortunately, it smelled like something got in there. And I actually was nervous about it because I thought, uh oh, like, is this going to impact my car? Is my car going to have this horrible smell for a long time? Do I have to take it to a mechanic? But the smell lingered for a few days and then just went away. I don't know what happened. I checked. I like looked under my wheel wells. I opened up the hood of my car and like looked in like the air unit. I tried looking all over. I guess this is common for this to happen, like a little mouse or something. It made me really sad. It was disturbing. And I imagine that it happened there because it was so foresty and it was also kind of chilly. Sadly, I think something like crawled into my car to get warm and didn't make it out. I hope that wasn't TMI and disturbing, but that's the reality of some of these experiences. What a good place to stop. I'll give you an actual high note, which is that that campground, there's just like, you know, some of these places you feel like are just spots to sleep and places to, they just kind of suffice, I suppose. But that campground felt nourishing. I felt like I was forest bathing as uh, the nature fix gets into a lot. That's really amazing thing to do for yourself. And I'm in a national forest, literally is a forest. And these campgrounds that give you that deep sense of nature, certainly if you use a campground that you have to hike into, that's a whole nother experience that I've never had. But to be able to pull my car into this little campsite, it was alongside a little river, and just surrounded by dense trees. There's a picnic table. I didn't set up my tent or I don't think I had a fire that night, but I stepped out of my car when I got there and just felt so relaxed. And the next morning I got up and drove down this dirt road that was not designed for a car like mine. I think it was one of the few times on this trip that I thought, don't really think I should be going down this. Like a truck would be a much better vehicle. <laughs> but the map did not indicate how many potholes that this dirt road had. So I had to go like five miles per hour. <laughs> it ended up being worth it though, because it took me to this really cool lake that overlooked Mount Hood. And I was there at like 
seven in the morning, drinking my coffee. I took Evie for a little walk and there was like fog around the water and people were out there, like I think fishing. Not that I love to see that, but there's still something peaceful about people being up early in the morning to do something like that. And I remember just standing there in in awe. And in the book, The Nature Fix, the author talks about the power of awe and how rejuvenating that is for us. And I felt that that morning. I'll pause there. I have a lot more to share about my travels. I think this Mount Hood, yes, that's still in Oregon because it's not too far outside of Portland. And then I crossed the border into Washington shortly after that. So to be continued, I have at least one more episode in which I will share more details of this trip. I hope you enjoyed it. As usual, I wish that I could get some real-time feedback to, to see if, is there more that you want me to elaborate on? Do you have questions? Are there things that are boring to you that you want to hear less of? I welcome all of that feedback anytime. And some of the best ways to share that are through email, through social media, or through my private Beyond Measure community. My email, actually links to this all can be found at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can get my email address. You can find links to social media. I think Instagram, I mostly use it these days for direct messages. I actually haven't checked the Wellevator account in a while because I've taken a break from posting on there, but I'm actually hoping to ramp back up, get back in the flow of posting on Instagram and also start up the the TikTok account. It's already there, but I mean, restart it up. We'll see what I can get accomplished during my trip. Anyways, I love the direct message features of social media. If that is convenient for you, you can reach out that way. And if you want a more connected, real-time conversation with me, or actually the only one you can have with me these days is through Beyond Measure. And that is a private community that you can join to not only connect with me, but to meet a community of other like-minded people who are there to connect in a non-judgmental way, to learn from each other, to support each other's self-growth, to talk about anything that lights them up and inspires them to go through the hard times together. And that's a huge source of joy for me. If you feel inspired, you can join that. I will put the link in the show notes. Would love to connect with you, whatever method you would like. Now, I record these episodes at least a week and a half in advance of when they come out. The next episode will likely be the part two for this one, unless I space it out. But regardless of when you hear this, I still welcome your feedback. I still welcome your questions. And I'm always happy to send you private answers too. That's always a lot of fun. So that's it for now. Stay tuned for part two. That'll come out sometime soon. This Friday, I have another guest episode for you. Actually, if everything goes as planned, the guest episode will be great timing as a follow-up to this because the person that I'm supposed to release as the next episode, if everything goes to schedule, is another camper and a a vegan and a really interesting person that I cannot wait to talk to more, to share more with you, especially if you've never heard of this person before. I think you're going to absolutely love them. That's it for now. Thanks again for listening or watching on the YouTube channel whenever this comes out and to be continued. Hope you're doing well. That's it. (laughs) I got all awkward at the end. That happens sometimes. I feel all hot too because this room has become sweltering 
One downside to it that I've not figured out yet. I have this little mini fan. I got this fan for my Costa Rica and Singapore trips. It's so cool. It's USB powered. It's got a good little battery. I forget how long it lasts for. So you can hold it like I am right now, but you can also prop it up. It's kind of hard to use. When I listen back to the audio, I'm, I'm very curious how loud this is, but you can prop it up like this on any surface. And I've been putting it in my windowsill here. I just haven't turned it on for the podcast because it I'm afraid of the noise impacting it. I'm going to go test this out and see what does it sound like when the windows open and what does this fan sound like? It's got like a little humming sound. Anyways, I digress. Just a way for me to procrastinate saying goodbye to you. I will link to this fan in the show notes if you want to check it out. It's so cool. It also operates as a... I got to show you all the features. It has three features. The fan and multiple ways to use it. It also has a USB port so you can charge a USB device. It's great for your phone. And it operates as a flashlight. I didn't think I would use a flashlight much because my phone has the flashlight feature on it. But I actually prefer using this because it feels like a flashlight. The only issue is that looks like an adult toy. I think my sister said that to me. She's like, what is that thing? <laughs> but I also, if you look closely, it's designed to look like a little bear, which I think is really cute. There's other brands you can get. I, this is some generic brand, but I will link to it if you want to get the exact one. It's been great over the last month and a half that I've had it and awesome for times like this where this room, I could set up a full-size fan in here, but it's such a tiny space. Having a little fan like this is really useful and it's very powerful despite its mini size. All right, enough for now. To be continued. Thanks for listening and watching. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 